little clip that makes everybody laugh and feel good. You know what I mean? Instead, it's like, ooh. But I'm really not funny. No, no. And we shouldn't have a podcast. What? <laughs> okay. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Uh, I just have it stuck in my head. I don't know. Mm, okay. I I th- didn't used to think about that song very much. Like it was a song that was around, but then that movie How to Be Single came out. Oh, I thought you were gonna say then you became a dad. Then I became a dad. No, then that movie How to Be Single came out, and it wasn't the best movie. Are we okay on the levels? Of course. Yeah, we look fine over there. I'm in charge. Okay, I know. That's why I was asking you, because you're in charge. Um, yeah. so yeah, that movie, How to Be Single came out. I'm just going to adjust this a little bit because it's a little tall for me. I'm a little shorty. Um, <clears throat> and it wasn't a great movie, you know, but it had its moments and the, uh, one of the Damon Wayans, I think has a daughter in that movie and she's like, sing the eyes of you song. And that's that song. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, but then he's sad about it because his wife died and it's tragic. But oh. it's cute, ultimately. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's uh, How to Be Single. Our next podcast will be a minute-by-minute minute breakdown of that movie. Jeez. Is there, are, there, are there actual podcasts like that where they do minute-by-minute minute breakdowns of single movies? Oh, yeah. There are podcasts that do minute-by-minute minute breakdowns of, like, franchises. So, like, Planet of the Apes or, like... You know, yeah, so they'll go minute by minute through the whole thing. That's bonkers. That's a real that's a real podcast minute format. By minute. Minute by minute. So I mean the episodes don't end up being that long because I mean you can't I mean you could talk, you know. Wait, so each episode is dedicated to a minute? A minute of the movie, yeah. Or of the series. That's insane. Yeah. Are man. there any names? This is podcasting. Uh I can't think of anything right now, but if you like Googled like minute by minute Planet of the Apes podcast. That's, that's the only one I can think of right now. But there, it's this is the format. I'm not. It's not the only one. Um, as you guys may or may not be able to tell, it's just me and Jonathan in the studio today. In stewed, uh, we're going guestless. We're going solo, and this is the first time we've recorded in a whole month. So it's gonna be a heck of a time. It's gonna be loose. It's gonna be loose. We're gonna be. Lo- we're both drinking. Mm-hmm. Just gonna be upfront about that. We both have alcohol flowing through our our blood streams right now <laughs> as we're recording this podcast it's gonna be a great time and you know why it's gonna be a doubly great time because we're talking about not only a movie that ethan hawk it's gonna be a triply great time ethan hawk fe- is featured as an actor in this film he wrote this film he directed this film a quadruply great time and it is based on a novel that he wrote we are talking about the hottest state today. So, Jonathan, what do you think of this movie? We're just starting with what I thought. Yeah. It wasn't great. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, I um, I read the book. Yeah. 
this was about six months ago now, so it's a little it's a little Rusty. blurry in my memory. But I I do remember I did talk about the book a little bit on the podcast. So listeners, if you go back and you just piece together everything that I said about the book throughout the course of this podcast, you'll get to get a sense of where I was at. Um, but I, man, the book, I have a complicated relationship with the book. It is so, it's so of Ethan Hawke, you know, the character William, William is the main character, basically, okay, so the story is that it's about a young man, 21, 2021, who is an actor and living in New York, and he was born in Texas moved with his single mother after his parents got divorced to New, Jer- New Jersey and tries to make it as an actor in New York. It's deeply autobiographical. Just the content right mm-hmm, there is mm-hmm. deeply autobiographical or semi-autobiographical as every like news outlet puts it in sure. all the reviews. Um, and the character of William talks so much like Ethan Hawke. Mm-hmm. That it is impossible to separate the two. In the book or in the movie? Both. Or both. Both. Yeah. Both. What's interesting to me is that I also, I read half of Ash Wednesday, which is his second book. And that one's a little different because it has two protagonists and it alternates perspectives between the two of them. And they mm-hmm. both talk like Ethan Hawke. Right, of course. So this one's a little different because you have just one protagonist that talks like Ethan Hawke and then a girl who's like the object of his affection. That's kind of the the deal here. Um, but yeah, so yeah, William falls head over heels deeply in love with this girl named Sarah, mm-hmm. who is a singer. And uh, it's just a really kind of intense and tumultuous and brief relationship i i don't know i could see like like i could see how ethan hawk would be so deeply invested in this story and feel the need to tell it Mm -hmm. Uh, i just don't know if like i don't know if it's like really the one that should have become a movie although I don't know if Ash Wednesday should be a movie either. It wasn't. He didn't make a movie out of Ash Wednesday. It might be better, though, as a movie. Ash Wednesday? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I don't know. I'll give you some, some floor time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I watched it today. Mm-hmm. So... It's fresh. Fresh, yeah. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, I watched it yesterday, and then I came in for the last half today while you were watching it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, how is it different than the how is it different in the book, and how is it similar? Uh, It's okay. The main difference I would say is Sarah. Mm -hmm. She in the book. I don't believe she's supposed to be, she's, I think she's white in the book. Mm-hmm. It never says. So I, I, you know, I'm not like, I have no issue with uh, like an adaptation, like a movie adaptation of a book, uh, casting someone of any particular race for any character. Like that's fine. It's just different. 
than mm-hmm. I think the book was. Okay. Um, and the other th- big thing that's different is that they, the movie that he's filming is in the movie. The character is cast in a movie. Yes. And they go to Mexico for a couple of weeks. Yes. To film the movie. In the book, they go to Paris. Because uh, it's 100% Ethan Hawke was about to go shoot before sunrise. Mm-hmm. And he put it in the book. <sighs> it really stresses me out how autobiographical it is. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for that. It's fine. You can tell your own story. You know? But you're just stressed but out. But it really stresses me out. I mm-hmm. can't explain it. I can't explain it. Um, so, yeah, I'd say those are the two big differences. And that, um, other than that, it's pretty faithful. Um, there were some things that were obviously cut for time and uncut because they don't, they aren't really like movie things. And I honestly think there were more things that should have been cut because Uh they aren't really movie things. Um, I think maybe like his mother, Laura Linney, all of the stuff with her could have been cut from the movie. Really? I do. I liked her. I like Laura Linney. I think she's a good actress. Uh huh. I think that doesn't she make your mom nervous though? She does make my mom. I'm not my mother. I I'm not. I'm just I'm just <laughs> I, I'm just bringing this up. Yeah, yeah. No, it is funny and relevant. Every time I see her, I think about it. <laughs> not your mother. I think when every time I see Laura Linney, you think about my mom. Yes. Being nervous. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. No, if so, every time I saw your mom, I thought about how Laura Linney <laughs> makes her nervous, that would be kind of weird. Yeah. So for the listener. Every time Laura Linney is on screen, my mom will tense up and be so uncomfortable from seeing her act, um, which is funny because my parents are Downton Abbey watchers, viewers, and uh, Laura Linney is like the voice of Masterpiece Theater on PBS. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so before and after each episode, she'll be on the screen walking through, walking by with like this green screen behind her and it looks like curtains or something red or I don't know, whatever. And she'll be like, PBS is made possible by donations from viewers like you, you know? And it's Laura Linney, and I just like think about my mom like cringing every time. Um, I think she she's she got over it for that purpose. You wow. Know? If you're that's well, great. I mean, if you're gonna watch Downton Abbey, you gotta you gotta push through. Um, she became a popular meme for her introductions. Huh. When saying hi, I'm Laura Linney, and this is ma- a masterpiece classic. What? What's the meme? I don't know. <laughs> I've never seen this meme. I'm old. I just know that she. I think it's probably like a meme from like back in the day, though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know about Laura Linney being the voice of masterpiece PBS from the meme. I know it from having watched PBS, which shows how old I truly am. Because mm-hmm. I watch PBS. There's this Tumblr that's just uh, Down Abbey. Nice. Down Abbey Tumblr. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there are, like, a million down Abbey Tumblr. But it hasn't been updated since 2014. Well, that's sad. The last movie post, came out. Their last post was Mouston Abbey, and it's, like, Mice is down Abbey. Amazing. Poor Mr. Pamuk. Mr. Pamuk. That's the name of the... Oh, the... 
The Tumblr, yeah. The Tumblr. I, it was Mr. Pamuk. I think he might be the guy in the first, like, one of the earliest episodes who Mary has sex with him and then he dies in her bed. Uh-huh. And then they have to, like, move the body to his own bed so that it seems like he died naturally in his sleep. Spoilers. It's truly from, like, the third episode of the show. No spoilers. It may even be, like, the first episode of the show. I don't know. It was wild. Like... The Mary and her mom and um, uh, what's her name? The blonde uh, maid character. She um, she they the three of them like carry his body together from one room to another, and they think they hear something, so they like have to run back, and it's it's very comical. Mm-hmm. Even though he died, I think that's who Mister Pamuk is. Anyway, we're off topic. Not at all. Fun. Not at all. Laura Linney is very on topic. You said... Oh, yeah, that's true. ...that you thought that that they could do without Laura Linney. And I'm shocked. I thought Laura Linney was the most fun part of this movie. You thought she was the most fun? I mean, I guess that's fair. She was fun. She had some some good... She had some choice uh, quotes. I think that... She said... uh, She had no guidance on her accent, though. Oh, what was her accent supposed to be? I... Well, that... Exactly... I didn't notice. Well, so she kind of was doing her normal Laura Linney voice, but then she'd slip into a Southern thing because they're supposed to be from Fort Worth, Texas. So I think that she kind of got had it. I could like tell from the way that she was talking that she kind of had it in her head like, oh, my character's from Texas, but she wasn't given like really firm like direction. Oh yeah. On, I'm not a criticism of Ethan Hawke's direction. I'm sorry. Mm. I'm not there yet. <laughs> no, I think firm direction is what this movie could have used. Yeah, but so I don't think she got like firm direction either way on whether she was supposed to be using like a southern voice or a normal Laura Linney voice. And so because of that, it kind of got lost somewhere in between and she slipped in and out of it. Uh-huh. And that was kind of distracting to me. Yeah, I didn't notice. Yeah. The thing I did notice, speaking of the way people talked, uh-huh. was the main character... William, uh, yes, played, played by Mark, by Mark Webber, Webber, who we know from Ethan Hawke's first film, Chelsea Balls. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, also, we should note that Sarah is played by Catalina Sandino Moreno, yes. who we know from our last film, Fast Food Nation. Yes, yes. Um, he has he okay. So he his he sounds like Ethan Hawke in a lot of this movie. Mm-hmm. Except when he gets mad. Uh, I wrote down. Yeah, he does. He does really capture the the tone, like the voice of Ethan Hawke. Yeah, I wrote down that he uh, starts talking like a white rapper. <laughs> and I I realized that when he does that is when he gets mad. When he gets mad. Yeah, he starts talking like a white rapper. Can you? I can't. I can't possibly. You just have. What is to, that? What does that mean? You just though? have. To, you know, like when Kyle Mooney is in a sketch <laughs> and he's like trying to be like cool. Uh huh. Like as a joke. Yeah. 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 Like not Kyle Mooney actually trying to be like. No, I understand. You yeah, know, as a joke. Yeah. As a joke. That's what it sounds like. Okay. Yeah, I understand what you Come mean. Come on. Now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I can't. It's hard. That to, was a good Kyle Mooney. It's hard to. Um, Maybe it was more of a it was it was visual too. The listeners at home, you'll have to believe that Jonathan really moved his shoulders in a Kyle Mooney esque way. Yeah, yeah, you will have to believe. 
but yeah, so when he gets mad, he starts sounding like a white rapper. That's that. That was my notes. Mm-hmm. That was my. That was your that notes. Was that was it. My entire notes. Wow. Yeah. Um. Oh, there were. Um. Before we even get to the movie, I just the trailers were really interesting to me. Did you watch the trailers? Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. So the first trailer was for Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, which we're talking about next week. Um. And I realized when I was watching the trailer that I had no idea what that movie was about. And I'm really excited to watch it now. Mm-hmm. Um, then the next trailer was for a documentary called In the Shadow of the Moon. That was about the Apollo 13? Is that the one? What's the one? The, the big the one? Big the one, one that was faked? Yeah. Apollo 11. 11. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Apollo 11. Um, and, you know, with the voice of Ron Howard over the whole trailer. Right. Classic. Um, and then the next trailer was for this movie called Border Town, which, oh boy, do I ever have to watch this movie. Yeah. It has Martin Sheen and J-Lo. Yes. And Martin Sheen is like the editor at the publication she works at. Then J-Lo is sent to Mexico to investigate the disappearances of these like, uh, you know, young Mexican girls. And then she gets, she gets into it and then. Martin, and then it's a lot of Martin Sheen being like, you're not a police officer. Don't, you know, don't get in too deep and, uh, you know, uh, be careful down there. And I didn't send you down there for this, which he literally sent her down there for that, which I thought was really funny. Um, And, yeah, but I just had never heard of this movie. I thought I knew every J-Lo movie. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a J-Lo fan. I'm a, I'm a... I can't think of a good term for a J-Lo fan, but I am one. And, uh, I yeah, and I'm a Martin Sheen fan. I don't know how this movie slipped by me. It must have been pretty bad and or a January release. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to have been reviewed. Uh, reviewed. It seems to have been, <laughs> it was reviewed by uh-huh. critics. Yeah. That's what I'll say. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Oh, man. That's like the one of these art these reviews I pulled up of the hottest state, not to like skip ahead, but um, it was from The Atlantic. And the line that was like so scathing was like, oh, I just got to read it. The writer said, the hottest state is almost certainly not playing at a theater near you, but as it happens, that's the single nicest thing I have to say about the film. <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. That's rough. It's rough. Anyway, but uh, yeah, and then the the next trailer was for this movie called Poor Boy's Game, which looked a little yikes. Yeah. That yeah. one seems to have gotten better reviews though. Oh really? Yeah, it's like said so like eighty five or something oh, on Rotten okay. Tomatoes. Yeah, I thought it looked kind of not great, but Yeah, because it's like Danny Glover teaching a white kid how to box yeah. after his black son was like assaulted I didn't and, quite get all of the and, plot. like brain damaged, I think. Right. And there's there was like racial racial implications of him teaching this white boy how to box, but then uh, he was like doing it because it was the right thing, but like everyone in his community was upset with him for it. I don't know. It yeah, looks like it a probably lot. doesn't hold up. Yeah, but it seems to have gotten decent reviews at the time because I had to look it up because I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, I think that we should do like a marathon day where we watch all four of these movies. <laughs> or we could also not do that. <laughs> That's true. We I'll could probably do, other do it. I'll time. do it and I'll report back. 
Yeah. Thank um, you. You're welcome. You're the hero that Gotham deserves. <laughs> Uh, it takes about six minutes in this movie for a Tennessee Williams reference to drop. Oh my gosh! Yeah, Ethan Hawke's own ancestor, Tennessee Williams. Yeah, showing up. Also, the so the the line is from Camino Real, right? Which is like the movie that the character is supposed to be in. Yeah. Um, do you want to do the line? Did you write it down? Which one? The line. Is it about the text? What line? Um. The uh, my heart is my heart is made of gold. Oh no, I didn't write it down. Oh, okay, hold on. I think I did. I think that's that's kind of like the big line. Oh, maybe I didn't write it down. It's on the cover of the DVD though. Um, it's a it's like my heart is my heart is made of gold. What'll you give me for it? Uh huh. I feel like I have to remind myself of like good Ethan Hawke movies every time I watch something like this. Oh, that's so tragic. I, well, I think it's important. I think what's good is we saw Blaze. Yeah. We know, we know, like him as a filmmaker, like his trajectory, like yeah. ends with Blaze. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is a good movie. Yeah, I think he has grown. I think even since. Um, Chelsea Walls. Yeah. I mean, this is better than Chelsea Walls. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's too long. That's my my number one issue with this movie is that it's too long. It should be ninety minutes, not two hours, mm-hmm. based on like the content, you know. Um, I think yeah, I think he needed like a, a heavy handed editor. Yeah. But I do think this is better than Chelsea Walls. Yeah. I also think that probably part of the trouble with this not only is it like personal because it's semi-autobiographical but it's also personal because it's based on material that he wrote like he wrote the book and i i mean i can't even imagine having to slice up and change your own book when adapting it like that sounds like a nightmare yeah i you know i'm not saying this movie is great i'm just saying that i think that the process of taking a really personal work and cutting it and turning it into something else sounds awful. Yeah. And I can understand, I understand entirely how this entire movie happened mm-hmm. the way that it did. Um, but yeah, I do think that Mark Webber does a good job of playing Ethan Hawke, essentially. Yeah. He plays William, who is Ethan Hawke. Yeah, he does like kind of talk like him. He does talk like him. It's crazy. And his, I think his his body. I think it, yeah. it must be something about the clothes too, because they're like Ethan Hawke clothes. Yeah, he's wearing. Yeah, yeah, he's wearing yeah. like a lot of um, like embroidered Western embroidered shirts. Western shirts. Yeah. He wears boots. Yeah, yeah. He wears jeans. Like he wears he wears like a young Ethan Hawke's outfit. So he moves like Ethan Hawke, and he talks like Ethan Hawke, and I he really like embodies him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the movie doesn't even actually start with him. It starts with um, a young Vince and Jesse, and Vince and Jesse are William's parents, and so we get to see them meet and flirt. And um, also, Vince's friend John is played by Glenn Powell. Do you know who he is? No. He was. Um, he plays Buzz Aldrin in Hidden Figures. <laughs> And it was just really weird to see him in this movie, like you know. Set- I didn't remember Buzz Aldrin and because I feel like Buzz Aldrin gets the shaft a lot of the time. Yeah. He's like in First Man. Uh huh. He's like this like asshole who's only there for 
Mm-hmm. Like 10 minutes. I got to double check now that it's Buzz Aldrin. And hidden figures. <laughs> I think it is, but it could also be some other astronaut whose name I don't remember. But I feel like it is. But it's probably not now that I'm thinking about it because it's not about... It's not about Apollo. It's about the guy that goes around the first time. Yeah, he plays John Glenn. I was wrong. Sorry. Glenn Powell plays John Glenn. Right, yeah. In that movie. Who he plays a character named John. Died in this a movie. couple of years ago, right? John Glenn? I don't know. John Glenn had like a pretty amazing. He was like a. Um, he was a U.S. He was a senator. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. From Ohio. From 1974 to 1999. Oh. As the Democratic senator from Ohio. Mm-hmm. And he died in 2016. Yeah, I remember this. I feel like we should have more astronauts in office. Probably. <laughs> I mean, they'd have like a unique perspective. Like, uh, what's his like name? Like a very global perspective. <laughs> it's a joke but also i think it's true because i feel like when you see the earth from space mm-hmm. like you know a lot of like petty shit would be less important to you yeah i think yeah yeah like uh what's his face mark you know who i'm talking about the guy that sang space oddity uh no not that guy that's chris hadfield i'm sorry mark kelly Mark Kelly was uh, is is uh, Gabby Gifford's husband. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was an astronaut. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. He's um. I don't know enough about astronauts. He's an extreme uh, conservative. Mm. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm You're just ruining kidding. Ruining my point. What? Ruining my point that astronauts would have a more... No, he's not an extreme conservative. Okay. Yeah, yeah was, that would also a, be weird. a joke. Yeah. Uh, and his brother, Scott Kelly, is also an astronaut. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, he, he actually did run for office. I guess he must have lost. He was running for in Arizona mm. for Senate. It's a hard place to run for office as a Democrat. Martha McSally. Who I assume is. Yes. Oh, right. This was the election after um, John McCain died. Mm. Special election. Yeah, this must have been when John McCain died. Oh, wait, no. Oh, it hasn't happened yet. November 3rd. Oh, it hasn't happened yet. This upcoming November? Yeah, this year, yeah. That seems like a normal election, just following up a special election. That probably would have happened after McCain. Like, this would be a normal election. No, it's a special election. Okay. It's weird, yeah. It's weird to have a special election the same day or week as the... Oh, okay. Well, everyone, go get out there, Google when you're supposed to vote, and make sure you vote. We're voting on March 3rd because our voices finally matter. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, okay. So the current senator who was appointed 
is Martha McSally, and she ran against Kirsten Cinema, who won, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I forgot about. By Icon. Yeah. Love her. I forgot about that. Wow, I feel like so much has happened. Yeah, that felt like a long time ago. That really did. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yes, he is currently running for Senate. Crazy. Astronauts Mark, in office. Mark Kelly, yeah. Love it. Love to see it. You know what else is out of this world? <sighs> yeah, let's hear it. This movie, The Hottest State. No, it's very much in I this know. world. I know. It's in I know. Texas. I was just the beating trying. heart of the you United know, States. That's so true. Um, so, yeah, so we see, like, a young, it's not Ethan Hawke playing young Vince. Yes. Um, but it's another actor who, I honestly, when he first got out of the car, I was like, oh, this guy looks like Ethan Hawke. Then I saw him a little longer, I was like, he doesn't look that much like Ethan Hawke. But that first, that first getting out of the car, I was like, okay, I buy it, I buy it. I'm wondering, for you, as someone who didn't read this book, did you know what was happening in that scene? No. I didn't know who these people were. If I I felt like if I hadn't read the book, I would have no idea what was going on because yeah, it's I, completely unrelated. I got there like midway through the movie. Yeah, because you'd have to like later learn that his parents' names are Vince and Jesse, and that like you know, I don't know. Yeah, it requires lots more information than you're given. Yeah, at, yeah, I got the, it. I got it later scene. on. Yeah, I think definitely like the order and the you know they. The order of things was moved around from the way it was in the book, which made it a little easier to understand. You know, also in a book, I mean, in a book you can explain so many more things than you can visually in a movie, you know? Yeah. There's a lot more time to, like, linger on things than you have in a movie. But this movie still lingers on things quite a bit. Do you have to let it linger? Mm-hmm. It's a song of the future. No, no, it's the other one. Dreams is the song of the uh, future. Yeah. yeah. All my life. All my it's changing every day. Changing every day. Anymore, and we're going to have to pay for it. Every possible way. We don't have that kind of money. <laughs> so, they're listening to live music at a bar after this it cuts back to the present day present day which i also wasn't sure if this was supposed to be taking place in the 90s or the 2000s because the book takes place in 96 and the movie takes is like shot in 2006 but i guess it was 2000 i don't know it didn't really feel like the 90s yeah it because like michelle williams's outfit was like screamed mid 2000s yes you know? yes 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 so yes, yes. <laughs> if it was today um, they would just be tweeting <sighs> That joke's never going to be good. <laughs> if someone out there can make but a super cut of all the times coming. that Jonathan makes you that joke. didn't see it coming. We'd love it and we'll share it on the Instagram. And that's why it's funny. Okay. So they're seeing live music at a bar and it's Mark Weber's there and he's there with some of his friends. Um, one of whom is played by Michelle Williams. Which is fun. I love Michelle Williams during this time. She yeah, you were like, just like talking about how hot she was. Yeah, I mean, she was pretty hot during this time. But also, I think she made a lot of really interesting choices with movies. Like, she was doing a lot of indie movies and not getting a lot of attention. 
I think, during this time, but she was doing a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Another movie that came out a couple years before this that she was in, like 2004, I think, was called Imaginary Heroes, which Sounds is familiar. like a very, in in the landscape of films that made Harper Harper, uh, Imaginary uh. Heroes is a big one, and she plays Emile Hirsch's sister huh. in that movie. Fun. Yeah. Uh, it's a very, it's a sad movie, but it's good, and she's good in it. Um, but yeah, so it was nice to see her in this. And also there's another, another friend in this scene who has one line that you don't even really hear, but her, she is played by Alexandra Daddario. And I was so shocked because I had no idea how old she was, is what I'm going to say. I still don't. She has to be at least 35 now though. For this to make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Don't Let's you think? See. And I swear she's like still playing a teenager. She's just, just she's thirty three. She's thirty three. Yeah, just two years ago she was playing like the Rock's teenage daughter. You know, <laughs> that's insane. She was playing like what? a seventeen year old in um. It wasn't skyscraper. It was that San Andreas. She plays the daughter of Carla Gugino, who we know and love from the Jimmy Show, and uh, and The Rock. Insane San Andreas. Yeah, I have to see it. Oh, it's a it's so fun. Nice. I love a disaster movie with The Rock. Yeah, uh, there was the uh, there was that that thing about skyscraper, where mm-hmm, the director mm-hmm. was like, um, "Oh no, I'm thinking of a different thing." Yeah, the director of Skyscraper was just like, oh, I know, it's just Die Hard in a, in a building. <laughs> and then someone tweeted, you better show Nakatomi Plaza some goddamn respect. <laughs> um, no, I was thinking of that other thing with Skyscraper where someone was like, took the poster and showed the like possible directions that he could go and none of them. And so like on the poster, it's showing that he's like jumping off of like a, a big crane into a hole in a window. But there's uh, no way that he could actually get uh, into that window, so like with physics. A lot of a lot of fun content came out of Skyscraper. I never saw it, yeah. but I did love San Andreas. I would encourage everyone to <laughs> stay at home, do a triple feature of the day after tomorrow, 2012, in San Andreas. <laughs> Three of my favorite movies. Did you pull up the meme? The poster thing. Yeah, there's one of him where he's uh, where he's holding balloons <laughs> to justify how he could get oh, there. Oh, funny. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> there's one where someone just like sloppily photoshopped it so that he's like closer to the window, <laughs> but they didn't like match the colors of the sky at all. That's funny. That's really good. <laughs> It's funny when I just explain memes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we love there's it. There's one where they just, uh, instead of skyscraper, it's called spiderscaper, and then they drew like a white web going from his hands. <laughs> That's good. That is good. So yeah, Alexander Daddario is there in the bar with them. Shocking. I was so shocked. I'll never be over it. Yeah. Um, sister of Matthew Daddario, who we love from Shadowhunters. Shout out to Maddie D. Come on the show. We love you. Um. Yeah, and so, the, but then he turns around and he sees Catalina Cindino Moreno, Sarah, in this movie, yes. 
And uh, he starts hitting on her by talking about Star Trek. <sighs> yeah. This guy. And then yeah. he's like, do you speak English? Yeah. And then she's like, yeah, I do. Yeah. <sighs> that should have been th- the end. Yeah. Of it. She should have been like, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I know a couple away. of words. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Oh, that would have been a fun plot twist. Um, but that's not what happened. She says, yes, <laughs> no. I do. And then uh, they talk all night. They walk around like just a young Jesse and Selim. Yeah. Except without anything that... Uh, no, I didn't say no, anything. say it. This is a podcast. Except You're without to say anything things. that like makes you know that work. That's so true. They feel like really kind of thinly characterized yes. to me. Their motivations, their, a lot of their motivations don't make a ton of sense. Yeah. A lot of their conversations don't make a ton of sense. Especially the ones that are most important to the movie. Like the ones where like some conflict comes to a head. Mm-hmm. That's when like the logic starts to sort of slip away. I mean, the it's not like a plot hole necessarily right because it's not like it's not necessarily about the plot but Mm -hmm. it's like the moments where you're supposed to see them like fighting with each other or disagreeing or whatever and you're like why is she doing this and then you're like why is he doing this it just it Mm -hmm. doesn't yeah especially i think especially her i think her performance was solid but i just don't think she was given the best uh characterization she was not the most fleshed out person yeah that i'd ever seen one thing that i thought was like from watching the movie i felt what really bound them together in the beginning is they're both artists he's an actor and she's a singer and also they're both pretty good looking people like that was that was kind of what i thought brought them together but what was interesting as i had remembered from the book that he describes her as being pretty unattractive in the book. Mm-hmm. Like, he really spends a lot of time thinking about how she's not pretty, you know? Right. Like, she's, not... like, she's homely, she's not skinny, she has really curly, like, you know, kinky hair. Like, she's, you know, she's wears weird clothes. Uh-huh. There's a lot of time spent on how she's not traditionally attractive in the right. book. But then in the movie, she's played by Catalina Santino Moreno, who's, like, a beautiful woman. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I mean, this is a different character. That's fine. But then towards the end of the movie, he he does talk on the... He's, like, leaving her a series of crazed voicemails. And he says, you know, I think you're, like, overcompensating because you're not pretty. Yeah. But I think you're pretty. But, like, it's... But she's, like... But she is. It's, pretty, it's yeah. yeah. It's, so it didn't really for me like. I think you either had to drop that entire thing, that she wasn't pretty, right, or cast someone else, who's not as traditionally attractive. Like, you know, it didn't. It that part didn't really work for me, and I was kind of, I, I had let it go until it came until up at the he, end. Like started going on about it. Yeah. yeah. Like, and at that point, it's like. Why does he think she's not pretty? Like, is this, like, a, you know, weird, bad thing? Because she's, like, not white, you uh, know? Mm-hmm. That's, that's like, all I can... That's the only explanation. 
I think he's just being a dick. I think he is being a dick, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the main thing. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it doesn't it doesn't translate into the movie mm-hmm. with this particular casting. But, yeah, so they just talk a lot in this movie. You know, it's Ethan Hawke. They're going to talk a lot. Yeah. It's kind of his M.O. I was listening to an interview with uh, Greta Gerwig, mm-hmm. and she, they were talking about uh, Mumblecore. Uh-huh. And she was like, she got asked about the Mumblecore thing, and she was like, you know, she, like, didn't like the categorization. And she's like, she said that she didn't dislike it, it's just that she didn't come up with it. Like, she didn't come up with a name, Mumblecore. She was like, I, we didn't set out to make something that was Mumblecore. It's just that someone had called it that, and it kind of stuck. So mm-hmm. she didn't seem, like, resentful of the idea that it would be called Mumblecore. She just wanted to, like, be like, I didn't come up with this. Like, this wasn't my idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she was talking about how she... Like, er, yeah, like, the mumblecore stuff early on was kind of, like, there was, like, an improvisational element to it. Mm-hmm. But then she said that, like, the movies that she's directed by herself, mm-hmm. they're very, they're tightly scripted. There's no improvisation in them. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah, what's interesting about me, the concept of this movie as a mumblecore movie Mm-hmm. Is that I think like in general one thing that's when I think of Bumblecore movies I usually think like yeah they're really talky and it's kind of a lot of talking about nothing or a lot of talking about something but they're usually very like good looking movies to kind of like counterbalance the fact that it's like not a traditional like plot driven uh-huh. kind of movie yeah at the same time it's like usually a pretty good looking movie like the a lot of the budget is spent on the like the way it looks mm-hmm. and this movie it feels like they didn't have any money for lighting oh, okay uh-huh did you not feel that way i honestly was just kind of like just glad that the visual uh that digital movie making had improved since the last time we had seen yeah it, de- it of course uh, it looked um, better than, it did yeah then chelsea walls and chelsea tape walls, yeah yeah tape i think is easily one of the most atrocious looking movies that i've seen yeah. and i liked it i thought it was a great movie yeah. but it's unwatchable <laughs> it's yeah it's very it's yeah it's like grainy and brown yeah yeah like my flip phone in, in <laughs> middle school yeah in middle yeah. school and high school yeah shoot well i mean you know oh could have shot better yeah 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 well i mean technology had advanced by the time we were in middle and high school i know and i understand that the first time this movie the hottest state came out when we were in middle school we're yeah we're catching up to to you know current day we're getting closer. Because yeah. when we start, now when we started, we weren't even we born. We weren't born yet. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. But so, we got there pretty quickly. Yeah, that's because true. Because when did... This is our 32nd movie. Well, when no, this is more than 32 movies. 34. Dead Society come out. 1989. Oh, you don't so need we to Google that. Yet. I have all the dates in my head. <gasps> what I was told after you Dead we Poets Society? Yet. Dad? Uh, no. Uh, oh, yeah. Dad was... Uh, yeah, but before Dead Poets Society was Explorers, which was 85. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, 85, 89, 89. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So what came after Dad, do you remember? Uh, White Fang was in 91. 
What was after that? Mystery date was, I think, also in 91 uh-huh. or 93. I can, I can look it up. Are you quizzing me? Yes. Uh, oh, we didn't get to when we were born until 1994. Yeah, I know what year we were born. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> so 1994, um, quiz, show, quiz show, reality bites, floundering, and white. white yeah, I was too. just listening to the Fast Food Nation episode and like, Straight to One. Did you hear about this movie? Straight to One. What is that? In 1994, it says short film writer, director, and producer. Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Oh, it's on the DVD. I think we're gonna do a bonus <gasps> episode, a little little That's episode exciting. about it. Yeah, it's a it's a bonus feature on the Hottest State DVD, and um, I would like to do that with the Robot Chicken episode, and then oh, that'll be our our nice. next episode, so that we have a little bit more lead time because we didn't record for a month. Yeah, nice. Yeah. What were we talking about? I don't fucking know. This movie, The Hottest State. <laughs> Chelsea Chelsea State. Uh, Chelsea Blaze State Hottest uh, Seymour introduction. Um, his friend wears a fedora. Can we talk mm-hmm. about that real quick? All right, let's talk about his friend. His friend is named Decker. Yes. In the book, he is a much larger character. Really? Yeah. So in the beginning of the book, like he gets with he he you know he gets with Sarah in the beginning, and then um they've just kind of just met though, and then they go. I think this is the right order, and then he goes on a road trip with Decker. Because Decker's mom killed herself, which I think that does come up in the movie. Yes, yes, he, yes. He, like, yes. Briefly, he makes, he makes like a Sylvia joke about Blatt it. Reference, yeah, yeah. But um, the two of them go on a road trip, like to Chicago, to visit the cemetery where Decker's mother is buried. Uh huh. And so that's like a whole thing where they're like driving overnight and they talk a lot. There's a lot of conversation between the two of them. So like you can you know that they're like really good friends and you learn a lot about both of the characters over this drive. And they did cut this from the movie, which I think is totally fine because yeah. it's not relevant to the main story. Um, but for me, I was like, oh, look, it's Decker, like this guy who's like a fully formed character. And in this movie, he's just like kind of like the goofy friend. Mm hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, also, the actor who plays him was really interesting to me because he plays this like weird, possibly possible villain from season three of Kyle X Y. There was a season you, three. Yeah. No, it was okay. Wait. Underrated. So after they figured out what happened to his belly button, they made more <laughs> of that show. Yeah. That's okay. Anytime that show comes up, that's all anyone talks about. It's the belly button. It's the belly button. Yeah, I know. It was a weird time for belly buttons because do you remember the Matrix? Yeah, I do remember the Matrix. The Matrix came out in t- 1999. Mm-hmm. Kyle XY came it was much out much later in 2006, I think. 2006. So two years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so two years yeah, later, 2006. Follows. Follows. Yeah. It's a classic. Um... Anyway, 
so yeah, so this actor who plays Decker, his name is Josh Zuckerman, and he so he plays this guy who like he's dating the the daughter of the family that takes in Kyle XY. He's okay. dating her, but also he's secretly like a scientist from the bad company that's mm-hmm. like the evil Kyle XY corporation, you know what I mean? Because uh, there's like a good guy that's helping him, but there's some bad guys that sure. also want to like lure him in and use him. So he's like a scientist there, but I think he's really a good guy. I don't totally remember. It's been uh, 11 years since I watched season three of Kyle XY. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so that was wild to see him. I was like, oh, I know that guy. And then I looked him up. And I was like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, um, he plays a villain in this. Yeah. Ew. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Although in the book he is much grosser. Really? Yeah, I mean like he, he yeah, so there's that one scene, do you want to talk about the scene with him and the girl? He says something creepy. I don't remember what though. Oh, he's like I I prefer you with this skirt on or something or like a yeah, dress on to yeah. the yeah. With, to the girl that he's with. I think it might be Alexandra Daddario. Yeah, I think so. And so he's just talking to her about I don't know. That he in the book it's it's a whole scene in the movie it's just a throw it's like a weird one off line but in the in the book it's a whole scene where he's like such a jerk to her, um, yeah so but yeah so the when he appears is at this party, so they go, I was about to say Ethan Hawke, Mark Webber, William and Sarah show up at this party at Decker's place, and um. Also, I only know it's Decker's place because I read the book. I feel like I'm doing this too much. I'm, like, pulling from the book too much and obsessing on it. But, like, I really do. I did absorb the book. Mm-hmm. I've read well, it. That's good. No, it's helpful. Yeah. Um, it, and the book did help to give me more context for the movie. But I also think that the movie shouldn't have needed that. Like, a movie yeah. should be a movie. Yeah. Separate. Well, I mean, it made... Yeah. The movie made sense. Yeah. It just wasn't great. Yeah. Like this, this you can follow the story without. I I could follow I could follow the story without having read the book. Yeah, for sure. Um, there are just some things that I think, like get filled in. Were yeah fuller in the book. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So they're at this party and. Uh, Richard Linklater is there in the background. Oh, so first, okay, so William and Sarah. Yes. <laughs> so yes. William and Sarah show up, and then Michelle Williams is there, and he let and she like drags. Uh, or no Decker I don't know someone pulls um, William away from Sarah so she's alone at this party and she's just listening to like Richard Linklater in the background like talking about something Um, she's listening to a few she's picking up on a few different conversations yeah there's one guy that's like talking about setting himself on fire because of George Bush (laughs) yeah which feels very I don't know it feels like it feels like that uh waking life for the it guy does feel on like fire. waking life yeah so i want george bush and sets himself on fire yeah also i mean also richard linklater you know just hearing his voice because i feel like that's the only time i've really heard his voice is in waking life yeah that's true so for because well, he's he's a character in that movie a couple yeah. times he's in yeah. it so when i heard him i was like oh waking life yeah. And he's talking about something I I didn't write it down, but he's talking about something really Richard Linklater too. I'm sure he wrote He's his talking own about part. John Wayne. Oh yeah, yeah. he's talking about he's John Wayne. He's talking about John Wayne. I remember this. I wrote this uh what did I say? Where does it go? Mm. Rick he's talking like, about I remember, John Wayne. I remember where I was when John Wayne died or something. Yeah, and then the woman he's with says, oh, "I'm a vegetarian." Yeah. Yeah. 
So that was really Ethan Hawke, Richard Linklater, like yeah, it was very them. Um, it's nice. It's nice that they support each other. You know. Yeah. It's because Richard Linklater was in Chelsea Walls too briefly. Yes, he was. He was in he the was. end. He has the car. Yeah, he has the car. Um, so it's nice to see him. You love to see it. You love to see it. Um, but yeah, so then Sarah feels like you know, William just left her alone at this party where he's clearly slept with everyone, is what she says, and um, or fucked. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what she said, but. Um, I didn't really think that was super clear. I thought that was Michelle Williams. Like, obviously, yeah, they yeah. had had... They... She says everyone, but it kind of seems like it's just one. Yeah. Uh, again, in the book, I do think it's more clear that he had slept with every single girl in his friend circle. Um, but, you know, it just works differently in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, and we missed... A, we missed... One scene that I think is, like, kind of important. Um, so when... Uh, oh, well, one thing that's really important is that when he walks her home that first night when they meet, he's like, this is this is your place? Yeah. Because then, then he lives uh, directly across the street. Across the street. Yeah, his window points her. out to his front door. And, and something I took note of uh-huh. in his apartment. He has a piece of paper uh-huh. on the window. Uh-huh taped to the window facing outward and it says good morning uh-huh. but it's not just any piece yeah of it's paper. like a record it's a record slip. sleeve yeah. yeah which i felt was the most ethan hawk line yeah well because you see him you see him like i think he didn't have any paper and so he dumps out all of his records out of the uh-huh. out of the full sleeves and he takes the the paper sleeves and writes yeah. good morning i on think them. that's the most I, I that's my pick for the most ethan Hawk line <laughs> it's just writing good morning on a record sleeve instead of like i don't know a newspaper uh-huh literally anything else. are we it doing most ethan hawk lines be, right now it had to be a record sleeve yeah let's hear it okay mine is a line that he says is it ethan hawk or is it it's the... ethan hawk oh okay never stray too far from texas in your heart Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he hasn't. In no, 20, he really in hasn't. 30, Forty years. Yeah, because I think years? Ethan Hawke moved. 40, how? From, when was nineteen eighty-five? Uh, that's a hard question. That was fifteen plus nine, twenty years ago, thirty-five years ago. Yeah, there was a there was a math moment on the, <laughs> the Democratic debate. Oh yeah. Did you? Did you? Did I you didn't. See this? I didn't see that. No. There was. It was. Um. It was Elizabeth Warren was like the people on the stage have collectively lost ten elections, and the only people who haven't lost any elections oh, are, are the, the women. That, yeah, I yeah. saw. I did see that. Yeah. And Amy's like, yes, queen. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's another moment where she's talking about how she they they i didn't see this part but she because i only watched the like highlight reel mm-hmm. um she says she must have alluded to how she was the only person to beat a republican incumbent in 30 years mm-hmm. and then bernie sanders says uh i beat a republican incumbent to become representative or senator uh, I guess it must have been senator. And then she was like, well, that was a thousand years ago. <laughs> yeah, she says, she says, when was that? 
And then he says, uh, he's like, 1990. And she's like, and you, and she literally like, she goes like, she has her hands out and she like counts backwards. Uh-huh. She wasn't, I don't think she was trying to be sassy. She was like genuinely just yeah. counting backwards. And she's like, it's 30 years ago, right? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, 30 years ago. And she's like, yeah, I said 30 years ago. I was the first person in 30 years to be a Republican incumbent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just kind of a weird moment where they're just standing on stage, like doing math, doing math. together. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a little tense, a little tense. Well, yeah. I mean, that, at the end, I did see that video of them at the end. Did you see that? No. He goes to shake her hand and she like, does this with her. she like pulls her hand away oh uh, okay so and and they're like kind of like tensely they're starting to like talk about something tensely you could see you can't you know it was after the debate so they don't have their mics on but you could see them like getting into something and then tom steyer comes up to like <laughs> shake bernie's hand because he had already shook hands with elizabeth warren and mm-hmm. he was just like trying to you know be cordial with everyone but he he walks up and then he's like <laughs> and then he yeah the 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 thing that elizabeth warren and bernie sanders want the most to be comforted <laughs> by a billionaire i know literally like what yeah what makes him think that that's a good idea yeah but then no, but he he backed off, and then he was like he was like yeah he he said to CNN like I don't want to I didn't want to get involved in that like it wasn't my business it was their conversation like I saw that they were talking and I just like turned around. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that was like respectful. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah definitely. Definitely. No, I'm not like defending Tom Steyer, a billionaire, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Steyer, comma billionaire. Yeah. Um. But we're off topic here. Yeah. No, there was the um. <laughs> because the reason that, yeah the reason <laughs> that the uh the thing about losing the elections came up was because the moderator asks bernie sanders about the thing where he said a woman can't win the election mm, yeah and he says oh, i didn't say that and then the moderator turns to he says like i didn't say that like i'm i i'm gonna work for i hope i'm the nominee but if i'm not i'm gonna work for whoever mm-hmm. is the nominee or whatever um and then they turn to elizabeth the moderator turns to elizabeth warren and says she they she didn't even like like acknowledge the fact that he had denied it she just said how did you feel when he said that like it wasn't like Uh if he had said that it was like how did you feel when he said that like that was her question Uh to elizabeth warren elizabeth warren said well i disagreed so she didn't deny it either which means that it definitely happened yeah um which is yeah not not great yeah which brings us back to to the way william treated sarah speaking of the hottest state this nation this nation yeah so (laughs) yeah how did i i moved to another page and now i'm all confused i took many pages of notes and also it's confusing because i use csm as the abbreviation for catalina sandino moreno but i did that for this one and for fast food nation which is the movie just before this one so it's really hard for me to flip through my notes because i see that abbreviation in like both sections right uh but it's fine (laughs) oh and they talked about getting married Oh, you're, like, way ahead. You're way ahead. We're not even close. Okay. 
just the, the I my notes go Rick talking about John you Wayne. Look like you have like one page of notes, and, and I then have my like next eight. note is now he's talking like a white rapper, and then my next note is they're getting married. Oh my god, you skipped like an hour of this movie. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> yes, you did. No, I didn't. I'm, I'm not saying you didn't watch it. I'm just saying you didn't write anything oh, down for an hour. Oh, you're saying I fell asleep? No, I'm saying you didn't write anything down for an hour. That's not true. I wrote something down every hour. Jonathan <laughs> sleeps during all of these movies. He said it himself. <laughs> I didn't say that. It's unfair and immoral. Ugh, you're good at it. I am? Yeah. Thank you. Ugh. It's all about the gesture, though. Yeah, that's true. You gotta do the waving hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh yeah. So the thing that we, the other thing that we missed is, um, so even though they like just met, uh, he asked her to like move in, and she's like, "No, I'm gonna get my own place, but I'll sleep, I'll stay at your place until I get, my, I do get my own place," right. which is pretty quickly. But when she's staying there, they have this whole big exchange where they talk about the terrible things that they'll say to each other when they say about each other when they break up, which is yeah. Like, horrible. Yeah. Terrible exercise. Yeah, it it's is. It's like that scene in, um, I didn't think of this at the time, but it, uh-huh. I think of now. That scene in Master of None where he's like, let's oh, yeah. let's write down the percentage that we feel about each other or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the whole point in that, in the show, is that it's immediately revealed to be an awful idea. Yeah. I think this was supposed to be come off as self-aware. Yeah. But not be. Whereas that, in that case, it was like, mm-hmm. it turns out to be the thing that kind of ends the relationship Uh, yeah so that was a much more like effective use of a stupid exercise (laughs) yeah whereas this they like almost immediately end up making up well yeah but i mean she does get upset and he's like no i was like we were joking right and she's like yeah and i'm like (laughs) you know yeah yeah um but i feel like that's just like the first time that they fight yeah. You know, and it's like they're not even really fighting, but it's like such an indication of how their entire relationship is going to go. Yeah, and it does come up later because she's like everything is pretend for you. Mhm. Yeah. Um So, yeah, so then um they're at that party and then she leaves and she, cuz she's upset. And then William goes after her, and then they get in a fight again, like, immediately. Yeah. This Um, is the start of a long and fighting road. mm Mm-hmm. And then they do... I wrote sex scenes spliced together with Mark Webber and Decker talking about their relationship. So they do have sex. Yes. So she she says at the beginning, look, I don't want to have sex with you yet. Yes. And then he's obviously very frustrated for a while and he vocalizes it too he's not shy about that um which is kind of excessive considering they truly just met and from like the very moment they meet he's complaining about how they're not having sex um but they do ultimately have sex and uh that scene it cuts back and forth and it's like pretty close-ups of their faces while they're like orgasming Mm -hmm. Um, and he's like eating a hot dog with Decker, and they're like talking about their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a weird amount of that. Of what? 
Well, there's the sex scenes, but there's also like the sex scenes spliced with things that don't feel mm-hmm. related. Mm-hmm. Like I understand the point of doing that. Like you're playing two things off each other. Yeah. But these that didn't really it didn't really it feel like, like that. It doesn't create anything new. That's like the yeah. point of not to be like you know film one hundred and one, but like synthesis. Mm-hmm. is when you take two disparate scenes and you cut them together so that it cre- it synthesizes a new meaning from the the act of putting those two things together. Yeah. Um but there doesn't nothing new is created by showing uh William and Sarah having sex and then also showing William talking about being like in love with her, yeah. you know. Yeah, cuz I feel like in like, you know, it's kind of like a obvious example, but like The Godfather like at the end of the godfather where he's being is it where they're baptizing the baby in the yeah and, and then uh, at the same time they're, they're shooting, like, they're in shooting everyone yeah, yeah yeah they're killing every all of his competitors and stuff mm-hmm. spoiler alert spoiler alert for the godfather part one part one yeah 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 i would be mad if it was from part two or part three but yeah yeah part, part one three i mean mm, it's the return <laughs> of the jedi of the godfather Ooh. series uh-huh in the the most, rise of Skywalker. In the most possible way. <laughs> um, yeah, I need to watch those at some point, though. The Godfather? Two and three, yeah. Uh, I've only seen part one. Oh, okay. That's the one that I like the most, but... Two? One. one. Oh. Mostly, a lot of people like two, though. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's The Empire Strikes Back. That's true. That's a good movie. Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Is it? Is it not? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. Sometimes you just want to talk shit about Star Wars, you know? No, I love Star Wars. Love them all. Phantom Menace <sighs> is my favorite. That's not even a lie. I know. I know it's not. So, okay. So Sarah and William go to visit Sarah's mother in Connecticut. And um, her mom is, like, drunk at dinner. And she says a lot of things that clearly make Sarah uncomfortable. Yeah, they're not nice things. No, yeah. She's not, she's not especially nice. Mm-hmm. But she's uh, she's fun. I guess. <laughs> I guess I had I had more fun with the moms in this movie than you did. Yeah, I think you did. Because I enjoyed her. Uh-huh. Yeah. Although she she did feel a little bit like I don't know caricatured. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know in the. It's pretty close to how I imagined that scene playing out from the book. Mm-hmm. That that was pretty pretty accurate, a pretty straight translation. Yeah, there's really not a lot to say there because it was just literally like he he ripped it out of the book and put it on screen. Mm-hmm. Awkward dinner scene. Yeah, um, I love to see it. <laughs> yeah, and but then like there, Sarah and her mom are doing the dishes, and he over William overhears her saying that. Um, he looks and smells like David, who, you know, we can presume is an ex-boyfriend of Sarah's. Yeah. Um, and. She doesn't want to talk about and it. And she doesn't want to talk about it. She doesn't want to think about it. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to think about it. She's just so sick about it. Just so sick about it. She can't believe it's ending this way. Can't believe it's ending this way. I was thinking about JT. Oh, yeah. Uh, While watching this movie? Yes. Really? Yes, I was. Because there's the scene where Ethan Hawke, who plays the main character's dad, Uh 
I don't think we mentioned this yet, have we? No, but we're not there yet. Oh, no, I kind of did, because I said he looked like young Ethan Hawke. Okay, well. At the beginning, the guy. I'll save my thoughts for later, then, about Justin Timberlake. No, say it, say it. <sighs> Ethan Hawke plays his own father. It's very Honey Boy. <laughs> yes, but Honey Boy, never mind. Uh, Honey <laughs> Does Boy's, a better job. Honey Boy is a great movie. Yeah, Honey Boy is a great Snubbed. movie. Snubbed. Yeah, truly snubbed. Shia LaBeouf was robbed of an Oscar nomination. I'll stand by that. Like, what more personal? Like, he was, like, truly in rehab just writing this thing once a week when he had access to a laptop. And it's, like, an amazing movie. Just, yeah, I mean, it could have been, it honestly could have been entirely fictional, and it still would have been a great movie. Yeah, but it wasn't, it's like, and like it's like... like Lucas Hedges, that little kid. Yeah. Shia LaBeouf. FKA Twigs. Mm-hmm. All the performances are incredible. The cinematography is incredible. The writing is incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, and Alma Harrell, like, gets great performances from all of these actors, like... Um... Woman director. Yeah. Snubbed. Snubbed. But anyway. I feel like the... I feel like the... It's worse the Lady Bird got nominated for a bunch of things. Because it's one thing, it's like, oh, they didn't even see this movie. Mm-hmm. But it's worse to get nominated for a bunch of things and then not get the director nomination. Oh, you mean you Little Women? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's worse, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially with Little Women, which is such an ensemble, like, that's about, like, getting performances from so many actors, which yeah. is yeah. what the director does. Yeah. Damn, bro. Damn, bro. Yeah, um, well, okay, so maybe this will be a fun exercise before the episode comes out. Jonathan and I will write down what we would have nominated oh in all the categories oh no and we will post that on the instagram oh, and the no. twitter yeah oh no oh <laughs> yes we will oh no i saw like three movies you saw more than that i saw three movies that's not true that's a not truth oh ad astra <laughs> <sighs> production design there you go you can nominate things uh best writing most sensical plot, <laughs> biggest daddy issues. Liv Tyler for supporting actress. <laughs> I think that that's. I'm just kidding, Ruth Negga. If you're gonna nominate someone for support, what would the biggest daddy issues be? Lucky for you, I got from, all these daddy issues. I mean, Ad Astra's obviously, but who else would be nominated for daddy issues? For daddy issues, Honey Boy. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. yeah. What um, else is there? Uh, I mean, Jojo Rabbit, maybe. Mm. Oh, uh, Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. <laughs> Gross. That's what it is. That's yeah. the category. Granddaddy issues. They brought, no, also Harrison well, Ford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they brought him in so that he could... Like resolved daddy issues. Give more his, like yeah, but it's it's yeah. it's you know mm-hmm. it's part of it. Yeah. So he could say goodbye to him. Um. Oh. Uh. Avengers Endgame. Can we say Tom Holland Spider Man looking <sighs> to Robert Downey Jr.'s yes, Iron Man for yes, a father figure? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good roster of nominees for daddy issues. The category. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> we should you know, just create a new Oscars. With our <laughs> it's own just categories. inane categories like daddy issues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, hottest state, daddy issues. Yes. Talk about daddy issues. Woo. So what I was going to say about Justin Timberlake uh-huh. is that there's the scene where Ethan Hawke, who plays basically his character his, his character's father, father yeah his own father yeah um is with a new person mm-hmm. that he's married mm-hmm. who kind of looks like uma thurman a little yeah. a little a you little. just thought a little she kind of reminded me more of paula malcolmson who was in hamlet do you remember her? Uh, no. She was, okay, so you know those like two kind of like druggy people that were always in the yeah, building? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. was the girlfriend. Okay. That's who, I thought it was her at first and I don't think it is. But anyway, sorry. But yeah, I mean, kind of Uma vibes. I, I totally understand what you're saying. Yes, Uma vibes. And of course it made me think of Cry Me a River. Cry Me a River. Sorry, I'm singing too much. The music, yeah, we're going to get sued. The music video for Grammy River. Uh huh. Featuring girl who looks a lot like uh, who Britney. Who looks a lot like Britney, yeah. Yeah, and Timbaland sitting in the car while it's raining outside. Iconic. Mm-hmm. Iconic. Iconic, yeah. No, it's a great video. I agree. <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> There's just some people out there who disagree. Who? No, just the people. There's probably someone listening right now who's like, one of our 40 listeners yeah, doesn't like of, that video. Yeah, one of them. For if sure. you are one of our 40 listeners and you don't like that video, unsubscribe. No, keep <laughs> listening to us. Just let us know and tell us why. We need to know. And we'll share it on the, on our next episode. If you, if you let us know. Uh, thanks. Thanks, guys. Um, so, yeah. William is going to go shoot a movie in Mexico. Uh, just, you know, this is supposed to be... It's supposed to be a Tennessee Williams adaptation, right? Yeah, it's a Tennessee Williams adaptation of Camino Real, which is the movie which I said a couple weeks ago, or, well, a couple weeks ago for the listener, over a month ago for us, but um, it's in development. Ethan Hawke is going to do Camino Real as a movie, right, and direct. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean... We'll see if that happens. And development means a lot of things. It means that it could sure never does. happen, you know? But it's on, it's like in his future, possibly. Yeah. So for me, that was like just another layer of like, this is truly just Ethan Hawke, this character. Yeah. Because he's like in a movie that's like a movie that he wants to make, you know, based on the Tennessee Williams play. And Tennessee Williams is, you know, his, his... great great grandfather, as we know, yeah. or great great grand uncle, whatever. And whatever you term used for that, which I don't think we've talked about this on the show yet. We know now that he is a distant cousin of Laura Dern's. Yes. From Little Women. Mm-hmm. Um, because they are both descendants of Tennessee Williams. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so he goes to Mexico and he asks Sarah to come with him. Um, and she's like, okay, I'll go with you, but like, I don't want to be there with you while you're working. Like, we'll go a week early. And we'll just be there together for a week. And then I'll leave when you start working. And then in voiceover, he goes, Mexico is where it all went down. 
Just, that was really funny. Yeah, worth noting voiceover. Yeah, oh, so again. much voiceover. It's like, I think Ethan Hawke was just in so many movies where he had to do voiceover yeah. that it just was like uh, something he could fall back on. Yeah. Unfortunately, I really, any screenwriters out there, I'm just going to like really discourage you from using voiceover in your movies. I just want to tell you it's better if you don't. Unless you're like, you know, I don't know, Adam McKay, and you're making one of those kinds of movies, and you need to use voiceover. You there's know what I mean? There's a few. There, there. Even Ethan Hawke movies. There's some good use. There's um. Uh, I'm gonna keep a journal for one year. At the end of the year, I will burn it. That's true. First Reformed is a good movie. Yes. Paul Schrader can do whatever he wants. Yes. But, you know, there are always exceptions to the rule, but I would say generally as a rule. And I learned this, too, in my first screenwriting class. Uh, don't use voiceover. Mm-hmm. You know, just don't. Just don't. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, they're in Mexico, and... He says, why are you so scared to have sex? And she says, I think if we have sex, I'll fall in love with you. It's like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But then she says she wants to fuck and she takes all her clothes off and they're in the hotel room. But then suddenly he's too nervous and he can't he can't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then the next day they do have sex and she says, do you have a condom? And he's like. She's like, are you using protection? Like, he's already inside of her. And he's like, no. And then she says, that's okay. And I was like, because I think at some point earlier, maybe, or maybe it's later, but no, I think it's earlier. At some point she says, do you want to get me pregnant? And she, and he says, yes. And he said, and she says, don't say that understandably but like i i really just felt like a baby was gonna come out of this like i had read the book and i knew that she didn't from the book that she didn't get pregnant yeah but from the movie it really felt like she was gonna get pregnant at some point like they had sex without protection there's a lot of talk about like i thought she might be pregnant when he came back from mexico yes because when he comes back she's like i need to use the restroom yeah you know like she's being all aloof because she's just like and the reason she gives is that she missed him while he was away and she didn't want to have, she didn't want to, to be like that. She wanted yeah. to have her own kind of, I don't, know. I don't know. I mean, I think really what was happening was she wanted to break up with him, but couldn't handle it yet. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but uh, just real quick back to when they're having sex in Mexico, there's another voiceover bit. This is, uh, I'm just going to read what he says. It's a little bit long, but he says, Sarah wasn't sexy the way other people were sexy. Her body wasn't tight or taut or anything like that. She was funny. She was human. The most human person I'd ever met. And that was sexy. I just felt like this was really like that character. Yeah. In that, in that part. It's a little eye rolly. Yeah, it is pretty eye rolly. Um... You know, also going back to my earlier point of like, you know, she's a good looking person. Right. I have trouble with the writing. Right. When she's cast as this character. But anyway, um, 
For some reason, I wrote down they both have divorced parents, which is true. I don't know what they were talking about, though, that made me think of it, but that's true. Um, and then after we see them, you know, have sex initially, we see, like, a montage of their beautiful vacation together. They're, like, walking around Mexico. They're having more sex. Uh, and then they decide to get married. Yeah. And... She gets talked out of it, basically, by her mom. Mm -hmm. Well, her mom uses, like, reverse psychology on her. Right. Because at first, her mom's, like, really against it. And so Sarah's like, oh, we have to do this, you know? Like, she gets really worked up about it. Um, But then she the mom talks to William on the phone, and he he says some things to her. And then she's like, okay, give me back to Sarah. And then she's says like she basically says like okay like i think you guys will be good for each other and then sarah's like oh no we can't do this right right, as soon as her mom supports it then she's like we can't do this um but yeah then she says later she says promise me that if something goes wrong if i run away that you'll find me and make me kiss you which i think is important for what happens next because she goes back to New York while he's finishing the movie. And when he comes back, she's like, you know, kind of cold and distant and um, ultimately breaks up with him. And he will not stop pursuing her after that. Yeah. You know, and so I think it's important to remember that she did say, like, you know, make me kiss you. Yeah. But he does also take it way too far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like, they get in a big fight, and then uh, he leaves. But then the next day, he shows up like in a tuxedo with a box of chocolates. And he talks at her while she's like walking to work. Yeah. Um, he has like a Shakespeare. That's later on, right? That's later. Yeah, but later, yeah. Ugh. He also, he does that whole what light from yonder window breaks a speech from yeah. from Romeo and Juliet. Um, and she just keeps being... She says, look, I don't want a boyfriend. She tells him to stop coming to her place because she's scared to go outside. You know, he, but he won't stop calling her and coming to see her. Um, and it's around this time that we first see Laura Linney, your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she, she makes kind of a late appearance in this movie. She does. And then is like heavily throughout the... Through the arrest. Last third or whatever. Um, he's having dinner with her on his birthday. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, they're having... Yeah, they're just having dinner and she says, uh, you only respect people when they don't respect you. That and you didn't go to college. Those are your only two flaws. Yeah, I wrote that down too. Which is pretty good. Yeah. And then she says, you're going to die, okay, and relatively soon. <laughs> yeah. It's some great mothering. Yeah. She also says, I like. I did like this line. She says, I think you'll be astonished at how many times you fall in love, which I did think was like good mom advice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought she was fine. But she does like kind of like throw a lot of advice at someone who doesn't want it or isn't listening, you know? Yeah, I don't think she was... I don't was, think it's a bad thing. I don't think she was giving the best i don't think everything she was saying was helping him but it did feel like something that 
I could kind of see this this character mm-hmm. existing. Totally. Which was needed in this movie. Yeah. She felt like a, like someone's mom, you know? Mm-hmm. Like she's like, she's like no bullshit, you know? Mm-hmm. Giving people, giving him a, a bit of a hard time, telling him that he's going to die in relatively soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she's just like, she's had it with, with the bullshit. Yeah. Which I kind of... She was in, uh, wasn't she in, I mean, I know she's been in a lot of things. Yeah, she's been like a million things. But she was in one of the Tom Ford movies, wasn't she? I think she was in Nocturnal Animals. She was? I think she was. I haven't watched that movie since, well, we saw it once. I only saw it once. In, In theaters? In theaters. And Mr. Ford was there. Mr. Ford himself was there. Yeah, Laura Linney so is Susan's estranged mother. I was uh, thinking about this, how she plays... This movie came out in 2006. Uh-huh. And she's playing Amy Adams' mother in 20... 2016. 16, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but she's supposed to be like a young mother in this one. Because right, I think that they... Right. Um, Again, this is something I know from the book, not from the movie. It's that like they were like in high school when they met, and she got pregnant pretty shortly after that. Yeah, she literally could not be Mark Wahlberg's mom. No, she literally could not be Amy Adams. Oh, mom. really? Laura Linney is fifty-five. Uh huh. And Amy Adams is forty-five. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. How old is Mark Webber? Do you mind looking that up? Sure. Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine. So that's a little more. Yeah, she could have been like sixteen. Yeah. 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 It's believable. Yeah. Wow, Tom Ford, come on, man. Yeah, I did. Rem- I I did think when we were watching when I was watching The Hottest State, like seeing Laura Linney and being like, is she old enough? Like, is she old enough for this? You know? Like, isn't, isn't there the whole thing with, uh, with, um, she is with, uh, what's her name? Sally Fields. Oh yeah. Sally Field playing, playing she plays a love interest for Tom Hanks in punchline. And then she plays yeah. his mother in, uh, Forrest Gump. Yeah. You're like, you turn 31 and then the only worlds <laughs> you get are everyone's, mother. everyone's mom. Yeah. yeah. That's true. It's not great. It's not great, but it's true. Yeah. You're right so there. yeah, I'm dozing. Um <laughs> so uh so after his birthday dinner with his mom, he goes home and the voice uh the voice machine the voicemail machine mm-hmm. answer answering machine. Oh, <laughs> I'm so young. The answering you machine there. is playing and uh he can hear um Sarah leaving a message for him. And she's and so she's like, oh, you know, come by sometime. I have like big gifts for you. I want to see you for your birthday. And so then he go, he picks up the phone and he answers, and he goes to her place that night, and she's gotten him like a uh, a piece of art. Yeah. And a very intense, yeah, piece kind of, of art. a weirdly like religious, yeah. three dimensional, yes, framed yes. piece of art. There's like a rose. Uh-huh. He had brought her roses. Mm-hmm. Which is not like a remarkable thing, but he brought her roses when he came back from Mexico, mm-hmm. and the 
poster has the artwork has a rose like in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and then there's like yeah, Jesus. Okay. There's like a sort of um, what's the collage type mm-hmm. imagery in the back of Jesus and like some other things, and then the, it's framed in like this sort of ornate gold frame, and then there's like red paint dripping from the top of it. Oh yeah, there's like like kind of like a blood it's splatter. Like blood, yeah, 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 like dripping from the top of the the frame of the painting. It's like mm-hmm. intense, <laughs> intense kind of artwork to like just give someone that you're like not dating anymore. Yeah, yeah, and he does say. I mean, I think that he again like loses his temper and goes too yeah. far in this scene. Yeah. But I will say, he. He says, like, do you want to get back together? And she's like, no. And yeah. then he says, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, look at this painting every day from someone who doesn't want to be with me. Yeah. Which I thought was it's completely reasonable. Like, it's that not was... unreasonable. Yeah. 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 He loses his shit, like, immediately after that. He throws, yeah. like, a table. Yeah, and he breaks a lamp. But he's that, that yeah, that's kind of. But, I mean, he's not He's wrong. right to be frustrated. Yeah. But that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, like, blame her either, but yeah. I think that she was trying to cut off contact with him, and then she called him on his birthday. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's not... And got him these kind of personal gifts. Yeah. Not the best way to go about that. Yeah. But, anyway, after that, he goes to see Michelle Williams, and then they almost fuck, but then he, like, tells her to to leave, leave because he's not in a good place to be around other people yeah yeah um and then i thought that was kind of like an interesting like blocking thing i think that's entirely what this was but like so he she kind of starts to they're in the hallway and she starts to kind of like kiss him mm-hmm. to like entice him to like, calm him down and also like you know seduce him um but he's clearly agitated and so it kind of looks like he's pushed her but i think actually what happened like from a blocking perspective i think she actually pushes herself away from him so it looks like he's pushed her it was a weird it was visually weird yeah no i saw that and i was thinking about that too i was like wait did i like look away for a second no i don't think i was confused by what had happened in that scene i think it was like kind of like a stunt thing like (sighs) to like you know like when you like slap someone on stage and you're really slapping your own hand yeah yeah yeah. you know i think it was something like that but she pushed herself away from him when it was we were supposed to perceive that he was pushing her away from him yeah it was weirdly blocked it was yeah it's like what does this what's happening but i think it was so that he wouldn't be actually pushing her right i don't know it was weird it was weird to look at yeah but that happened i mean just direction wise there were a lot of things that were kind of yeah i also like the sound mm. editing or mixing in this movie mm-hmm. not there was this particular there was particular early on where they're like walking and getting to know each other mm-hmm. and the music is way too loud oh yeah 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 it's it's the like score, way louder that, than like, they're weird talking jaunty score yeah and they're like having sex and they're playing like you know jig music like it's like <laughs> it's the mu- the music choices are so bizarre and then we get to like near the end of the movie mm-hmm. and it's like cat power and like 
And I'm enjoying it then because it's like, oh, I like Cat Power. Yeah, I like Cat Power. I like Nora Jones. I like Willie Nelson. Yeah. Yeah, It's a great soundtrack. Yeah, but like the... the, But the levels are crazy. The music, yeah, the way the music is done is like, especially especially early on in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's... Because like, what I think he was trying to do is like he's building up. They're walking together and it's building up to like a moment where they're deciding what to do or whatever. Mm -hmm. But... It's just, it starts off at a 10, mm-hmm. and it needed to be at a 6. <laughs> yeah. It was just, it was really weird. Mm-hmm. It just seems like the kind of, like, it's just, like, slobby. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder, I just... It's things like that, and also the fact that this movie wasn't, like, cut as much as it should have been, mm-hmm. that make me wonder if there was some kind of, like, deadline, like, he didn't have enough time mm-hmm. to finish it the way it should have been finished. I don't know. But, yeah, so then after the Michelle Williams thing, that's when he goes and does the Romeo and Juliet window scene. And he's, like, screaming it. And then, yeah. you know, it's very New York. Like, some guy yells out, hey, Romeo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but then uh, he leaves. And when he gets home, uh, he hears Sarah on his answering machine again. And he picks up. And then he's like, I just wanted to say goodbye with the best words I know. Which feels so Ethan Hawke. Like, that's, like, the most. Mm-hmm. That's probably the most Ethan Hawke line. Not said by ethan hawk in my mm-hmm. opinion but then she just responds and says goodbye and hangs up the phone mm-hmm. which i thought was appropriate yeah yeah but then we get a little bit of a flashback to when he was a kid and i thought what was really interesting about all the flashbacks is that you never see the kid that plays young william mm-hmm. it's always from his perspective like the camera is like where his eyes would be so you're like looking up at his parent he's always looking up at his parents and so we see this flashback of him with his with his dad, played by Ethan Hawke, and the dad's uh, new wife, and they're dropping him off at the train station, presumably to send him back to his mom, and uh, to like to con- he's probably upset. Again, we can't tell because we can't really see him, but um, Ethan Hawke says, "Hey, look, when you're 13, I'll like ask your mom if you can come live with me." You know, clearly something that Ethan Hawke his character isn't Vince isn't really thinking about. Yeah. But to a kid, that's like everything. Everything he's been thinking about. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but then when he's about to put him on the train, he says, uh, Ethan Hawke says, never stray too far from Texas in your heart. Which just so Ethan. Yeah. Yeah. But then he's on the train and he's like, the train starts moving and they're waving goodbye and, then we cut back to him in a train station, uh, and he's going to see Laura Linney, his mom, present day, uh, for Christmas, an early Christmas, because she's going to Hawaii with her boyfriend, Harris, mm-hmm. and so she's having an early Christmas dinner for Harris and his mother, and did you know who played Harris? Frank Whaley. Frank, did you know who played his mother? No. It was uh, his grandmother from... The Jimmy Show no played his mother. Yeah, I had her name pulled on. Wow. Yeah, Lynn Cohen. Mm. Yeah. Um, listeners, you may know her from The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, 
she was very good in that movie. Um, but yeah, so it was just the back of her head, but I, I knew it was her. Like just seeing her with Frank Whaley, it was like watching that movie again. Yeah. Dramatic. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was interesting getting everyone from the Whaley Linklater Hawk extended universe all together in mm-hmm. one movie. Yeah. Yeah. I had pulled up the, uh, so I, I was, I pulled up the, um, I was looking at the Wikipedia entry for the movie and there's a category on the soundtrack and then there's reviews of the soundtrack, um, listed separately from the reviews of the movie mm-hmm. and all music, it has four out of five, AV Club has B, IGN has 8.7 out of 10 and Pitchfork has 2.2 out of 10. Oh my god! True to fucking form. Pitchfork is uh, such a nightmare mess. The soundtrack to the film adaptation of an Ethan Hawke novel. This record features Bright Eyes, Feist, Nora Jones, and Ward Cat Power, Willie Nelson, and others. All performing songs written by Jesse Harris. Your mom will love it. Long before Zach Braff existed as our Hollywood arch nemesis, the writer-director soundtracker of our worst dreams, there existed a predecessor, a proto-Braff, if <gasps> you will, named Ethan Hawke. <gasps> The Garden State soundtrack is good. I think that they forget. Hawk indulged so many side interests that I was downright shocked not to find a band in his Wikipedia entry. I guessed I had conflated him with fellow travelers Keanu Reeves and Jared Leto. Who's is this from Pitchfork? Yeah. And this is from when the soundtrack was released. This is two thousand seven. Yeah. Interesting, but Garden State came out before this movie. Yeah. Oh. I think the point is that before... Oh, well, Chelsea Walls had a major soundtrack, too. I guess so. Okay. Um, uh, Hawk is finally living up to the last part of the bargain, putting his music taste on public display, and it's terrible. The Hottest State soundtrack features a roster of acts old and new... Old and newish that would draw the envy of Commander Braff. This is dumb. Yeah. I think that it's like so like full of shit to say that I just think that the Garden State soundtrack was good and say what you will about Garden State as a movie. Mm-hmm. Looking back on it now that we're in twenty twenty and we're you know, we've progressed as a society and as movie viewers Mm -hmm. but the soundtrack still slaps the only living boy in new york don't panic like everything on that soundtrack is good and pitchfork is a nightmare i mean okay let me me give you some more of this review i mean jesus christ superstar this music is boring i've always found it hard to hate on the phenomenon of Nora jones because dentists office need new cuts too (sighs) But to find people I respect like Chan Marshall or Brad Meldow or M. Ward sinking to this milk toast level is a bit of a wet willy, even if I shouldn't be that shocked. Well, M. Ward doesn't need help being boring. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, this is so... This is like the quintessential Pitchfork review. But yeah, that's so... Frustrating. It's a good soundtrack. Everyone go listen to it on Spotify. Because it's silly. Oh no! What happened? This sentence is like so. 
as such, it's an act of unintentional indie fan bubble bursting as effective as music from the OC collection or Braff's most notorious soundtrack efforts. The OC Maybe even are more good. Garden State than Garden State and its senseless damage to the forces of elitism. What does that even mean in its senseless damage to the forces of elitism? I don't know. Way to go, Hawk. Show the pretender who occupy the lovably rumpled Renaissance lacquer throne first. Ugh. What a mess. That, like, someone wrote this. Yeah. Committed this to their MacBook. Yeah. And then put it on, and then an editor read it and then published it. The sickest burn committed it to their MacBook. Yeah, I'm not going to name the author, but Jesus, dude. This is fucking awful. Sometimes I think, like, maybe I gave Pitchfork a harder time than it deserved, but no. (laughs) Pitchfork is that bad. I don't know if they're still that bad, I feel like. I think that they've grown, sure, they've grown in the last 12 years. Yeah. I'll give them that. They've grown in the last 12 years. I mean, sometimes they have some filthy takes, but. Yeah. um... Over Under is pretty fun. Yeah. Where other people that aren't Pitchfork writers talk about <laughs> things that they like. Yeah. Anyway, I guess I closed the door on that potential career avenue. Yeah, <laughs> you never were ready for writer. Pitchfork. That's fine. Um, so, yeah, so he's at Christmas at his mom's place, and then he leaves, like, 5,000 messages for Sarah. And then he calls again, and she finally picks up and tells him to stop calling. Mm-hmm. And then um, when it's really Christmas, he goes to mass with Michelle, like Christmas mass with Michelle Williams. And um, then uh, when Michelle Williams says, and also with you, all I could think about was Fleabag. Cause we've, so we've just been watching Fleabag season two. No spoilers. We're not done. We have two episodes left. But there's that scene in the second episode in season two where she goes... Uh, to when she goes to church to see him, yeah. and he's just finishing his sermon or saying something. Yeah, he says, she, "Please be seated," yeah. and she says, "And also with you." <laughs> it was so good. Oh man, that was so funny. Um, but yeah, so then William freaks out and and runs off, and again, this is a scene that I feel in the in the book is so much fuller. There's so much more context for this scene in the book Mm -hmm. than in this movie that I wish that it had been cut from the movie because it doesn't really do anything for the movie. You just Mm -hmm. kind of, you see him continuing to freak out, but I think we would have known that that was happening without the scene. We didn't need to see Michelle Williams again. I think it would have been better if it had ended when he pushed her and she left his place. Seeing him, seeing her again here is just kind of confusing in the movie uh, because there's no explanation. He's just suddenly at church with Michelle Williams. Right, 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 yeah, yeah. And so then he like runs off and he runs, she runs off after him and he like does this whole, you know, rant about how messed up he is. Mm-hmm. And we don't even see them like really connect after that. Like it's just that happens and then it cuts again. You know, it's there's nothing to this scene that gives for the in terms of the movie. Yeah, it doesn't give anything. Yeah. In the in the book, I think we learned that she he had gotten her pregnant previously. Oh, and she had an abortion. Damn. I think I again, I haven't read this book in six months, but I kind of feel like that's true. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, and there was a lot more going on. And you see that there's more to their relationship than just like her being kind of like a vapid sex woman, you know, like a sex fiend woman, which is kind of how she comes off in this movie uh-huh. a little bit. Like, not entirely, but she's like not nice to anyone in this movie. Uh-huh. And she just wants to have sex with him. Like, that's all we really see of the character in this movie. But in the book, what the church scene gives us is that there's more to her. Right. But in the movie, we don't actually get to see that more of her. So there's just nothing that this scene gives us. And I, this is one of the scenes that should have been cut. I think. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but again, like, I, you know, I under, and also. This is like the third time in an Ethan Hawke movie that we've heard the F word that is not fuck mm. in this scene. Mm-hmm. Bummer. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, and then we get another flashback, another little taste of William's childhood where Laura Linney is like driving, driving around on Christmas morning and you're not really sure what's going on. But then when they get to the house, you see that Ethan Hawke is there, Vince, and, uh, um, and she's upset because I think he was just supposed to like leave a present and like get out of there. Um, but he was still standing there with the present and they get in a fight and then he like gets, he opens the car door and gives young William a present says this is from Santa and then leaves and then Laura Lenny's like really upset but in that scene um she says you don't bully William bully women William it's not nice mm-hmm. and uh I think that's a message that really sunk in because he's not nice to Sarah or to uh, Sam Michelle yeah. Williams's character he's not nice to either of them he's not nice to women it's true. It's true. So. Do you want me to do more plot? Yeah. Uh, my last note was Frank Whaley. <laughs> well, how does it end? How does it end? <laughs> You're handing me your notebook, and it says, uh, M.W. takes a train to Texas. I assume that's Michelle Williams. Oh, my God. Mark Webber. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he goes to see his dad, Ethan Hawke, right? They have an <laughs> uncomfortable conversation. You just watched this, like, an hour ago. Um, wow. You took a <laughs> lot of notes. Holy shit. There are so many more notes. <laughs> no, you're going the wrong one. Oh. It's backwards. It's like a right-to-left notebook. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> Wait. This is like... Is this like a Japanese notebook? <laughs> no, it's a normal notebook. <laughs> I had already started writing things for the, <laughs> the forwards way. <laughs> Other things. And so I started from the back of this notebook when I was for the podcast. <laughs> don't worry about it yeah i'm not <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so if i flipped it upside down it would make more sense um 
Yeah, they have this uncomfortable about that scene. Yeah, they have this uncomfortable conversation. Thank you. And and uh, (laughs) Michelle Williams (laughs) and Mark Weber uh, is really laying into Ethan Hawke here. Yeah, he's like, "You're a shitty dad." Yeah, he's like, "Uh, "Apology not accepted." If you know what I mean. And then Ethan Hawke laughs, and he's like, "Yeah, I know what you mean." I will say, can I just say something about Ethan Hawke in this scene? Can I just say, please? Can I just please say? I'm not stopping you from saying anything. Um, I don't think he's great at directing himself. Uh, I think that he could have used some feedback on his performance in this scene. It was fine. It was not bad. Yeah. But this scene and also that flashback, um, the one where he's dropping off William at the train. Mm-hmm. Both scenes, I think, could have used a little more finesse. Mm-hmm. I think he could have used some feedback, like someone who was watching him. And I think that because it's a small part, maybe he just wasn't thinking about it that much. Or because uh-huh. he's he is a great actor. I do think Ethan Hawke's a great actor. I think maybe he was just like relying on his own ability too much. Mm-hmm. Because I think that... I just don't think it was like totally there. Mm-hmm. I think he just needed a little, like a little push to be a little bit better in those scenes, um, to be a little bit more complete, like a real person. And I don't think it was because of the writing. I think the writing for him, that character, was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think it was like he just needed to be a little bit more real, and he yeah. was missing that. So I think if he had someone else had been directing him, he would have gotten that, mm-hmm. and he would have worked on it. It's hard so. to act and direct. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised that there was this much of him in this movie after the commentary from um, Chelsea Waltz where he was, like, really kind of down on the idea of appearing mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah. He didn't even want his voice to appear, but he ended up leaving it in, I think, just as a matter of, like, mm-hmm. to save himself work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that too when the in that one scene where William calls him in the middle of the night uh-huh. and then he answers the phone and you hear him say hello on the phone. I was just thinking about him being on the phone in Chelsea Yeah, Wells. yeah, because he's in he's in an amount of this movie for sure. Yeah, and that's the and then he uh, William goes back to New York and he sits down with Sarah for yes, like one yes, one last yes, conversation. Yes, yes. Uh, and then she's like, I think you're too intense. And he's like, yeah. I am too intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was good that she said that, I think. Yeah. Because he is too intense. Indeed. Yeah. So. She says, according to you, which I remember this. Mm-hmm. But I just, it's in your notes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not taking credit okay. for this. I didn't break your heart. Your heart was broken long before you ever met me. That's true. I think that is true. And then he's like, oh, you should take some credit. He's 20 this whole time. 20 to 21. Yeah. Amazing. Yep. So, yeah, that's the movie. Yep. Um, I have pulled up a feature that is uh, an interview with Ethan Hawke about this movie, and neither of us have seen it yet. Okay. So How I long just is thought, it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'll, it's it's like five minutes, but okay, all right. We don't have to do the whole thing. I just thought I'd let some of it play, and we'll talk over it for copyright purposes. We'll talk sure, over it. Sure. So this, for the audience, is a very voyeuristic type film. Do you consider yourself a voyeur in real life? Like, do you eavesdrop for your art? 
do I eavesdrop for art? Uh, you know, not really. I always feel that I like those kind of movies. I know what you mean. Uh, I remember the first time I saw one of the Cassavetti's movies. I felt like it was spying on my neighbors or something. It was the the realism was so high. Listen, if you could be inside my body when I see you or touch you or think that I might see you or touch you, you would stop crying and slap me because I'm either crazy about you or I'm going crazy. Yeah. You are crazy? Oh, yeah? Yeah? Well, if you don't say, I'm gonna get over my stupid hang-ups and fall desperately in love, I'm gonna jump off this bed. I'm not gonna say that. Say it! you're having an argument, do you think in the back of your head, yeah, this is gonna make a great novel or a great scene in a film? Um, sadly, I probably have thought that before. Um, but I, I think that most of us all grew up watching so much stupid television, so many ads that you, you have, real life falls upon you and you, you feel like this is like a scene in ABC after school special I saw. I think that that's probably true for everybody. He's so much. To his credit. I think that he's like... I think like, some of these questions yeah. are a little bit... Leading. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a voyeur? Yeah. Do you draw your own arguments to put them in movies? It's they're not the... I mean, I appreciate that the question the interviewer is trying here, but... Yeah. These are not like... The greatest the greatest questions. questions that's true i just what's so wild is like i don't know i feel like when i watched this movie or when i read this book even like it was cringy often or like kind of upsetting but when it's coming from ethan hawk like when it's coming out of his mouth like the things that he thinks and says you know when it's coming from him it's like <laughs> It's like, this is just who he is, uh-huh. and I can't really be too bad about it. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. but it's like, there's just something about him where when, you know, when he's being a, a problematic fave, it's it's less upsetting than when one of his fictional characters is doing it. Mm-hmm. I guess because I have this emotional buy-in, this investment in Ethan Hawke already as a person, you know? And all of these things are kind of, like, making up the character of Ethan Hawke, like, the way that he will think of, you know, as he said, like, think of an argument as, like, as material. Or, which I, I you know, I believe a lot from the way that, you know, William and Sarah have that fake argument about things that they're going to say when they break up. Like, that feels like truly Ethan Hawke because he's the kind of person that would admit to thinking like oh yeah this argument would make a great book or movie Mm -hmm. you know or like I don't know all these things like these kind of like these upsetting traits in William or in Jesse you know from before sunrise you know whatever Mm -hmm. like when they're coming from Ethan Hawke it's like oh he is a real person he is truly this person Mm mm-hmm you know, I don't know. Is that just me? Well, I think in this case, it isn't, he didn't say that 
this arg- the arguments from his real life would make good good arguments in the movies. Mm-hmm. That's what the interviewer said. But yes, that's and true. he kind of deflected there. Yeah. So he didn't really acknowledge that that was the thing that he would do. Yeah. Maybe it is, but he didn't say that in the interview. He said something about after school specials uh-huh. or whatever. He kind yeah. of deflected there a little that's bit. That's true. So I, I don't know if it's if it's necessarily, you know. Mm-hmm. Were you inspired at all by the Link Letter films when you were making this? Like, did you take inspiration from those? Well, those films are a part of me. You know, I've done six movies with Richard Linklater, so to say I've been inspired by them is an understatement. They're part of my work also. I mean, you know, they're, that's where I come from. That's my... Uh, I learned so much about movies from Richard Linklater. He's one of the most knowledgeable people in the world, really, I think, about movies. Um, his... Uh, he's a real student of film, and... His love is really contagious, and when I did Before Sunrise, he turned me on to movies, and he turned me on to world cinema. You know, not just movies as mainstream entertainment, but movies as uh, as a giant international art form. With this novel, why did you feel this was the novel you wanted to bring to screen? I felt The Hottest State was an easy movie to make. It was in New York. I'm a New Yorker. Uh, it would be inexpensive to make. It dealt with young love. And it was so long ago since I've written it, it felt like adapting somebody else's book. Uh, and it seemed like it might be fun. I, I, those are the only answers I really had. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I, I yeah. The, it was interesting that he said that it was so long since he, he had written it that it felt like adapting someone else's book because it did kind of... It feels like a much younger person's, like, story. You right, know what I mean? Right. Like, he doesn't feel like that same guy from, like, Troy-aged guy. Yeah. You know? Which is where he would have been when writing the book. Right. Um, Which is maybe part of why, like, the character is kind of frustrating the character of William is frustrating is because he's, like, young Ethan Hawke. Like, he is that young guy that's, like, not great. hmm You know? Not that... I don't know that this age Ethan Hawke was, you know, also especially great, but he had grown up. He had, like, lived some life and learned some things and wasn't the same guy. Of course, around this time, he would have been coming off of Ash Wednesday, which is kind of also upsetting. So I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, The Hottest State is about a guy that is so young. Right. And feels things a lot and thinks things that maybe aren't correct. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's kind of, it's a challenge to, I think, interact <laughs> with the text. Yeah. Should we do a hawk fact? <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, that was that was fun. Thanks, Ethan, for chiming in. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So. Oh, caca! Do you want it, Jonathan? Would you like to try a hawk noise? (laughs) That was good. Uh. So, so, the score for this movie Uh was composed by Jesse Harris. Mm Mm-hmm. And 
Um, which brings us to Harris Hawks, or Harris's Hawks, as they're known. Um, oh, Harris. Yes. <laughs> and they... Um, oh, wait. Oh, no, we're good. Sorry, keep going. Okay. They are... They can be found in lower parts of... Uh, like the very southernmost parts of the southern United States, including Texas, all of Mexico, parts of Central America, parts of South America. Um, and there's a lot of interesting things about Harris's Hawks that I think will come up um, later. <gasps> but... Later? Like in a later episode? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there's a very uh, fun thing about them. Interesting, interesting. Are they vampires? No. Are they priests? No. Ah, okay. I'm out of ideas. Okay, I'll just tell you. No, don't That'll tell me. That'll be my hawk fact. Don't tell me. That'll be my hawk fact. No, the hawk fact is that they're Harris hawks and they're in the, the places. Yes. Um, they uh, are more social than other kinds of hawks. Uh-huh. They hunt in groups, whereas most hawks do not. Mm. Um. Very often, this is as per Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. My other fact was from the the information about hunting in groups is from allaboutbirds.org. Uh-huh. But this says that very often there will be three hawks attending one nest, <gasps> two males and one female. Whether or not this is polyandry is debated. Oh, is that relevant because... Ethan Hawke is polyamorous. I don't know. I just, it just seemed like something that could come up later. Oh, uh-huh. But I've decided to share it today. Okay. Well, yeah. We do know that Ethan Hawke and Ryan Hawke are uh, openly in a polyamorous marriage. Well. There we go. Uh, there it is. There it is. So, good hawk fact. Thank you. Yep. Shall we wrap it up? Uh, yeah, it's been a long one. I did pull up some yeah. reviews, but, you know, we all know how that goes. Some people liked it, some people didn't. Great. Great. What's the thing you've been enjoying? Wow. <laughs> well, my name is Harper. You can find me on the internet. Way to not want me to plug myself. No, I don't know. Do it. You can find me on the internet harping about on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Um, and, and if you're following me on Letterboxd, you could see my list that I keep updated with my ultimate ranking of all of Ethan Hawke's movies. Mm -hmm. So that'll be fun for you guys, listeners who care about my opinions about Ethan Hawke and his movies and movies in general. Um, anyway, so yeah, follow me on all those places and something I've been enjoying in pop culture recently outside of Ethan Hawke is... I have been listening to the audiobook of The Good Neighbor, which is the Fred Rogers biography. Mm-hmm. And it's good. It's kind of like first I saw the documentary, then I watched A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and then I listened to Finding Fred, that podcast by Carvel Wallace. And now here I am listening to the biography audiobook. So, you know, I'm just trying to get the complete Fred Rogers experience, and I'm loving it nice yeah 
Um, Jonathan, how about you? Where can the people find you? And uh, what have you been enjoying? You can find me on Instagram at John Zavaleta. A uh, thing I've been enjoying is, let's say, the uh, music video for Justin Timberlake's Cry Me a River circa 2003, I guess? Later? Earlier? Mm. Now I have to know. Four? No, it's got to be earlier than that. Three might be right. Two or three? Three. Cry Me a River. 2002. Two. Close enough. Close enough um yeah well i think i maybe knocked myself down really quiet or you did and i didn't notice earlier there we go well i should undo that though because that's gonna be a nightmare to fix i'd rather fix it all in post okay well good app catch y'all next week uh please rate and review on apple podcasts if you care about us at all in any possible respect um it really will be a big huge help to us yeah um also you can follow the podcast on twitter instagram tumblr tiktok all at hawkeyes pod and that's that on that so good night everyone thanks for listening bye bye This episode was produced by Harper Thompson and myself, Jonathan Zavaleta. It was edited by Harper Thompson, and our intro music, Hawk Song, is written and recorded by Connor Vance.